0: Hey, good morning. We have uh, spent the summer in this book of the Bible called Ephesians, working through it passage by passage, and it's this amazing letter that Paul wrote to a church 2,000 years ago that helps us today understand who is Jesus and who are are we because of Jesus, and how do we live that out in everyday life. As we've been doing that, we had the goal of not just digging in and marking up this series, but we also had the goal of trying to equip and train you to do that on your own. Because we don't think that this is the place where you should be engaging the Bible only. We think that every day is an opportunity for you to have the Bible in your hands and dig in and mark it up and and engage the Scriptures personally. And as we do that, we've been trying to give you some tools, and I want to give you a, a couple of tools and a warning today about how we engage Scripture. But we gave you these three questions last week. The First, anytime you read any passage of Scripture on your own, you want to understand, so you ask, what does it say? You want to kind of interpret what you what you just read and then say, what does it mean? And then you want to apply it to your life and you ask, what will I do? Well, I'm actually in a little bit going to give you a fourth question to ask, but with these three questions, sometimes we get to that last question and we know what it says to do and we don't want to do it. Or we know what it says to do and we're like, I feel really bad, and then we just don't change our our actions. Like, we don't actually apply it to our lives. Or we actually get to the point and go, I have no idea what to do. When you get to that point, it can be challenging. But our goal with these three questions and every tool we've given you is to help you put the Bible in your hands to dig in, mark it up, and engage it personally. I want to tell you about a story of one person who did that. It was actually a president of the United States. The third president of the United States was? Yay, education. (laughs) Come on, learn, guys. History matters too. Uh, Third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, who also wrote the Declaration of Independence, and he is known as the author of what's known as the Jefferson Bible. The Jefferson Bible was found, he didn't tell people about this, very few friends knew he was doing this, but even while he was the uh, third president of the United States, I think in his second term, he was uh, every day at the end of his day in the White House, would sit down, and start engaging the Scripture personally in a very interesting way. He would do it Bible in hand and razor in hand, razor blade in hand. And he would cut out portions of the Scripture, and then he took those in four different languages, Uh, the the Greek, which was the original language of the New Testament, Uh, English, which was the King James Version of the Bible at that point, Uh, French, and Latin, those four languages. And on four columns, and I have a, this is a replica of what he did. He would put it, these passages in there, cutting out passages and putting them in here. And what he would leave out was anything that referenced the supernatural. He was a naturalist, and so he believed in the day age of enlightenment that if I couldn't prove it to be true, I'm going to leave it out. And the end result was what he wrote, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, this was actually the second version of these he did. He did a first one that was called The Philosophy of Jesus. No one knows what happened to that. Uh, but the second one, family members passed it down and suddenly the Smithsonian got it. No one even really knew it was there. It was a very private thing because for Thomas Jefferson he didn't want to tell other people what to believe. He just said, free to do what you want. But for me, I want to apply it as a naturalist so I don't believe in the supernatural. supernatural. So he did it this way. And his approach to, to the scriptures was very unique. We encourage you to engage scriptures with a pen in hand and and, and, and a Bible in hand, he did it with a razor blade. And sometimes, even though we don't do that, we take a similar approach. We get to a passage and we think, I don't like that passage. So I'm just going to kind of cut that out. I don't want to pay attention to that one. And maybe it's not the Thomas Jefferson approach. Maybe it's another one of our great uh, uh, leaders of our country, Evil Knievel. Anyone know who Evil Knievel is? That was my childhood hero who once inspired me to drive my big wheel off the roof into the honeysuckle bushes, because it kind of looked like the, the thing a stuntman would jump into, and, and I lived through it. It was great. Evel Knievel was this guy who would line up stuff and jump over it. His first stunt on a bike was jumping over a box of rattlesnakes and bobcats. He just got this idea that man could make money, and he made a lot of money in his life jumping cars and then buses. And then the, the fountains at Caesar Pal- Caesar's Palace, which somebody just recreated recently. And like he was this guy who would just jump over stuff as far and high as he could go. Well, sometimes we take that approach to the Bible. We get to a passage and go, I like this part, but I don't like this part. So I'm going to kind of jump from here to here and ignore this. Or I just want to kind of cut it out. I don't want to pay attention to that. And I want, I want you to pay attention to what is going on inside of you Anytime you want to engage scripture, but you want an evil Knievel or Thomas Jefferson, cut it out or jump over it or ignore it. Because if there's something about you that's pushing back against that, pay attention to it. There's something going on there. Pay attention to that. And here's a passage that oftentimes people have that kind of reaction to. Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-two. Ephesians five, verse twenty-two says this: Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And we read a passage like that, and there's a verse that stands out. It's this verse, submit. Probably not our favorite word. Anytime someone asks you to submit to something, your first reaction may not be a very positive one. And some people in the room might have the reaction of saying, I'd like to jump over that or get out the razor blade and just kind of cut that piece out. Whereas some others in the room might like to say, I'd like to get a highlighter out and highlight this. Not so much for myself, but to show somebody else. But we have a reaction to this passage. But it says what it says and it doesn't say what it doesn't say. And so we have to ask, what do I do with that? I want to upfront tell you before I actually go through the process of how I kind of get to the end result of what does it say, what does it mean, what do I do? Before we get to that, I want to tell you what I think it doesn't mean is being passive. I don't think it means being a doormat. I absolutely do not believe it means you put yourself in a place where you are abused. That's not what this says. And you can say, what does it say and what does it mean and what do I do and come to a wrong conclusion and say, but God told me to do that. He did not tell you to ever abuse or hurt somebody. As a matter of fact, what you need to do when you're reading a passage like this is you asking these questions of what it means. And by the way, the word submit literally means to yield or to arrange under. But it says that's something we're supposed to do. So what does it mean? Well, let me give you another question to ask. What does it say? What does it mean? Here's the other question you might ask is, what else does it say? Which means kind of cross-reference. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. What else does the Bible say? about this verse, about this subject, about this word, submit. And as you do that, you might be tempted to say, I don't like this. What else does it say? And move on to a different subject. No, don't do it that way. Ask yourself, no, what does it say about this verse? It will not contradict itself or tell you to do something that's contrary to what God has set up. So what else does it say? And if you were to look at that, you would look at context context first within the passage and within that book in the book of Ephesians there's a lot in here that informs this verse and then you look at the big picture of scripture overall this whole library of truth that God's given us and say what else does it say but let's just start in this passage itself and if you were to back up right before this in verse 21 it says this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit to your yourselves Submit yourselves to your own husbands. So it's actually playing on a comment that it just made previously. And so it may say, wives, submit to your husbands. Is anybody off the hook with this statement, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Nobody's off the hook. There's the idea that God created, and this is what he does in the world. He creates the world with organization and with order and connection. And he created this idea that we as followers of Jesus would submit ourselves to each other out of reverence for Christ. Which means I'm not going to look at the other person and go, do they deserve it or do I want to? No, Jesus asked me to do that. And if I'm going to revere and worship him, his response, my, my, my response to him is to submit to others. That still makes it a hard concept. And it does not mean being passive, a doormat, letting somebody be abusive. And it does not mean that there's less of you. As a matter of fact, there actually may be more of you to experience that's only found this way. But you go on in this passage and it says this. Husbands, love your wives. So he changes to a different role in the family uh, situation. And again, God created the world, everything in the world with organization and with order and with this dependence, including this family unit that he creates. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, we talked about love and the idea we are called to love others. Love requires giving. Love always costs you something. And it's not something necessarily how I feel, but is what I call, I'm called to do. And he says, husband, you're supposed to. Your model, role model for this is how Jesus loved the church and gave Himself up for her for this purpose to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the word, through the uh, washing of water through the word, and present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." And God says, "When when life is working right, it will be transformational on the people in the relationship." And in this case, it's talking about a marriage relationship between a husband and wife. Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Marriage about the idea that God created this marriage that really he refers to so many times in scripture, not just in how to be a husband and wife, but the example it sets and the transformational effect it can have on people. And Gary Thomas asked this very difficult question to consider about marriage in his book, Sacred Marriage. He says this, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? What if God created marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And you could really substitute any relationship where God says, I created you for dependence on each other. And he says, what if the end goal of that isn't that you would be happy, but that you would be holy, that you would be transformed, which all through Ephesians, God is telling us, I want to transform you to look more like Christ, to have more of his character, to have that be your identity. The problem for us is usually what's standing on the other side of me and being de- dependent or submitting to others is my happiness. And most of us in life are on a happiness quest more than we are on a holiness quest and sometimes more than we are on a truth quest. I, want, I, will, I will look for what makes me happy. That's the end goal. And Gary Thomas says, what if it's bigger than that? What if you're being transformed is actually what God's plan is. And what if this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is a part of that? And again, you could substitute community, family relationships. Anytime you have people connected as Christ followers, the end goal is transforming our lives. He goes on to say this, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now he's telling the husband to love their wife Does that mean the wife's off the hook for loving the husband? Are we ever off the hook for loving anybody? Well, again, if scripture interprets scripture, the Bible says again and again and again, even in Ephesians, multiple times, we are called to love others as Christ has loved the church. But here, he singles out the husband. Why is he arranging it this way? I don't know, but God does arrange things for a reason. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then he does a cross-reference. Even within the passage, he refers to an Old Testament passage in Genesis 2, verse 24. And Paul quotes it. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he quotes Genesis, so it's giving you this cross-reference of what else does it say. Paul's doing that. Paul goes on to write this. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he says, in the middle of this, it's almost as if God set up the church, but followers of Jesus, not an institution, not a, not a gathering of, or, 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 or a, a service time or a place, but a people, a gathered people in the name of Christ. He said, what if their relationship in their community and in their marriages was designed to show the world what it looks like for Christ to love the church and transform their lives. There's something about relationships when they're working right that should turn eyes toward God and not toward yourself. And he's talking about that. That he, arranged, he, asked, he created marriage to be this picture of what he wants to do through his people. He goes on to say, however, each of you, each of you, also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husbands. So he thinks that, throws out like submit and love and respect. And some of the words he puts with certain roles, but if you look elsewhere in the Bible, none of us are on the hook for respecting others. Respect one another or loving others, love one another as Christ has loved the church with a very high standard. It's in there, but it says what it says and it doesn't say what it doesn't say. And it says here that God created this order of the family that he wants it To function. And he goes on to include kids, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And suddenly, kids might be wanting to get out the the razor blade, and parents are wanting to get out the highlighter. I like this part. I want to lean into this. And he makes the set, he quotes the Ten Commandments, and he says, Which is the first commandment with a promise? This was the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. When the family is working right, the lifespan, the life quality, the life is increased. It's better off than when it's alone. I love what the psalm says, that, that Jesus puts the, or God puts the lonely in families. God's family design is meant to function a certain way, and when it does, it has an impact on all who are involved. So he talks to children here, and he says, goes on to say, Father's? Singles them out. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, here's what you should do. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Teach them to follow Jesus, to do what he says, to love him, to reverence him, because it's out of reverence for him that we put other things into practice. But what he doesn't do when he talks about the family is talk to moms. Why is that? I don't know. I wasn't there. It says what it says, and it doesn't say what it doesn't say. But for whatever reason, he singles out dads and says, do this. Does that mean moms are off the hook for bringing their kids up in the instruction of the Lord or for for not exasperating their children? I don't think so. Because when the Bible says, submit to one another and love one another and respect one another, one another includes everybody. We're called to do that. And then he changes beyond the family unit and talks about other roles. But in this day and age, 2,000 years ago, in a Mediterranean world, When it talked about a household, it didn't just talk about moms and dads and kids. It went on to include aunts and uncles, and sometimes people who worked within the household, including slaves. So try wrapping your head around this in modern day and going, well, how do I apply this? It says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And again, this is a passage where people said, well, here's what it says, and here's what it means. It means slavery's okay. So I can, put, I can enslave people, and I can make them serve me. Well, at that time you would be hard-pressed to find a culture that slavery was not part of their economy. But then you go to a different part of the world, and they said, well, apparently he's endorsing it, so it's okay. Be very careful. Again, you can interpret Scripture and say, I want to make it mean what I want it to mean, and have it be something that violates exactly what God makes very clear who he wants us to be. And at the time, slavery in that culture, who he was writing to, were people who were conquered by the Roman Empire, People who were born into a slave's household. People who decided, I don't have enough money to pay for what I want to pay for, so I will kind of sell myself into some indebtedness to earn some currency. Which isn't that different what we do today with credit cards. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But the idea that slavery at that time was different. So be careful how you interpret things. But what you can't miss here is, he says, when you're at the the service of another, including an employer or employee, There's an attitude that he speaks to here, but he doesn't leave the people who have these people as slaves and servants off the hook because then he turns it to masters. And he says this, masters, does it say it next? There you go. And masters, treat yourselves in the same way. You're not off the hook either. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We will all stand before God and he'll say, say give an account for what you did with what I have entrusted to you and there will probably be nothing that's a more deeper conversation than what did you do with the people that were around you. And so you can read that passage and say, well, it's talking about slavery and I think slavery is wrong and you're right. And you think, well, I, I need to toss out this passage. Well, be very careful because what is the core of what this passage is talking about? Or you might say, okay, I'm not married or I I don't have kids, or I'm certainly not a slave or a master, so I'm off the hook. My role isn't isn't mentioned. Go back to verse 21. This is what Paul was saying. Everybody, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, let me give you some ideas of what it might look like in your world. No one is off the hook for this. If you are a Christ follower, this is who he's called you to be. If you are not a Christ follower, this is what he wants for you because this is how life works best. And it starts out of a connection to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you really want to do the context of this passage, you have to go to everything Paul has written so far in Ephesians. And he talks about the goodness and the greatness of God that showed up in the person of Jesus who gave his life for us because we were a mess and we are not good. Apart from Christ, we are lost. It uses the word we are dead in our sin and transgressions, and we are only made alive in Christ. But the good news is, is because of Jesus and he rose from the dead, we can be alive in Christ and the past is gone. Our future is different and we can live differently. And suddenly my life is about what Jesus has done for me, not what I've done. And what I do from this day forward is all about who Jesus is and what he's done for me. So I will gladly submit to one another because this is a family unit that God has knit together. The family of God to which I am a child of God, but I'm not an only child. And it's all because of Jesus and reverence. I've given my life to him. So I will say yes to what he asked me to do, which includes submitting myself to others. Well, when you have a passage like that and that word submit, and it still kind of pushes against you, again, pay attention to why is it something in you kind of checking back against this? Pay attention to that. And the question you can ask is, what else does it say? And when you look within the book of Ephesians, but look in the whole Bible, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let me quickly run you through that exercise. There are several verses, and you would use a concordance or search the word submit and see what else comes up. Sometimes you find examples, but sometimes you find the exact word. Genesis 3.16, you go back and you see this origin, the concept from God of where this came from. It says, to the woman, this is after the fall, he says, because you choose to choose to follow yourself instead of following me, there are some ripples it set loose in the world, and we now live in a full, fallen and broken world. And here's how it's going to play out. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Well, I don't like that. I want to evil can evil that or skip over it, but it says what it says. It doesn't say what it doesn't say and from the very beginning. There's this created order, and it's dependence. Colossians 3.18, Paul gives a similar list to what he just did in Ephesians chapter 5, but it's much more succinct. But he also says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's proper in the Lord. This is his way. Well, you know, Paul was, you know, he was a late addition to the team. He wasn't even at the last supper. I mean, can we really trust Paul? Well, let's talk about Peter. Peter was there. Paul wasn't the only one who said it. 1 Peter 3. Boy, and this is a really interesting passage. Wives, In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that... Because a lot of times what we do is say, well, my husband's not a believer, so I don't have to do that. Here's what Peter says. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, just by your action, by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives... Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles or wearing the gold jewelry or fine clothes. He goes on to say this. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. And he gives an Old Testament uh, example. He's doing a cross reference. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who was the... Wife of Abraham, the father of the faith, who who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So you have this whole passage that's in there. Well, again, it's it's kind of leaning on wives here. What about the other relationships that are identified? Well, how about this? Peter also said this later in the same letter, First Peter five. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Okay. Well, who's younger or who's an elder? Where's the age cutoff? Do I have to have my ARP card? Do I have to get a discount at at the movies? Like, how do I know if I'm an elder or I'm a younger? If anyone's older, put yourself in that group. If anyone's younger, put yourself in that group. Like, I think it's everybody to everybody because again, you go back, submit yourselves to everybody. But there's a concept here of order where he says age isn't about authority, but age is about responsibility to invest in the younger generation. And they can't do that if a younger generation won't say, I'd like to learn. I would like to grow. I would like to be invested in. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And he goes on to say, it's not just about how you relate to each other, it's about your relationship to God. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And any time you're involved in a dependent relationship where you go, I'm going to submit... And serve the other. Suddenly, what will show up in your life is fear, anxiety, and so it's not coincidental that Paul tells him or Peter says this: "Cast all your anxiety in him, because he cares for you." That verse that those of us with anxiety have quoted numerous times, and we believe that promise. Did you know it was in the context of elders uh, uh, or young uh, those who are younger submitting to elders? It was in the context of submitting out of reverence for Christ to others. But it's just not just younger to older. He takes it so much further to authorities of every kind. Hebrews 13 says this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as as those who must give an account. There's two important notes here about leadership. Paul and Peter both, we'll see in a minute, say we're submit to those in authority in government in leadership of any kind, in any organizational structure. Because again, God created a world with structure and organization and, and um, idea of dependence. And he said, there's somebody I want to take the role of leadership. Well, what if they're a bad leader? What if they're a terrible leader? They, will must, they must give an account before God. God will hold them accountable for that. And yes, you don't let yourself be abused or take step in doing something that's, that's contrary to what God says to do. That's a whole other conversation. But most of us, we're looking for an out clause before we're looking about, ah, can we really do that if someone's not in the right authority? We're always looking for an out clause because I don't want to have to submit to anybody. And in Hebrews, it says, submit to those in authority because those leaders have to give an account to God. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no benefit to you. Well, yeah, but that's that one verse. Does it say that anywhere else? Paul says this in Romans 13. Paul, who at the time, the person in authority, was the Emperor Nero, who was bloodthirsty, maniacal, homicidal, and eventually would be the one responsible, that the Apostle Paul would literally lose his head and die, and numerous Christians would die for their faith, and Paul, knowing that that's happening and it would happen to others, says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The the authorities that exist have been established by God. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. But the foundational principle he's saying is, we are created to submit to others. Therefore, it's necessary, verse 5, to submit to the authorities. There's that word again. Not only because of Possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. It's the right thing to do is what Paul says. Peter said it too. Same time frame, same emperor, same stuff going on. First Peter says this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not because of who the leader is, but because of who your God is. To every human authority, whether to the emperor, he calls him out by name, the, the position by name, as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. But the governor, the emperor, the leaders, is not doing that. They will give account to God and you've got to figure out how do you honor God in that process. But stop looking for an out clause to get yourself off the hook for what's very clear what he says to do again, again, and again. Titus 3, 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready to do whatever is good. And if that's not hard enough to wrap your head around, consider the role model we've been given. Jesus, preteen Jesus, 12 years old. Anybody have a 12-year-old in their house? 12-year-old Jesus subjects himself and submits himself to his parents' leadership. It says this in Luke chapter 2. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, his parents, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Imagine Mary trying to understand why in the world is the God of the universe placed in my home, and now subjecting himself to obey obey me. If you ever have a question as a parent, man, am I doing the right thing? Imagine how Mary felt. Am I raising the Messiah right? Am I raising Jesus right? Well, Jesus, right before the cross, he subjects himself to his heavenly father. He says this in Luke chapter 22. Father, this is how he's praying. If you're willing, take this cup for me, about the cross, about the path that was in front of him. Yet not my will but yours be done, he subjected himself to God's leadership. And that's where it really starts, subjecting yourself to God as the leader of your life, of Jesus being your leader, to being a follower of Jesus. James 4, 7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. That is the starting place. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the reason that's so hard for us is there is a battle going on inside of you. Ephesians has talked about it. There is a battle between following your heart, and following Jesus that is always at play in your life. Paul uh, Paul said it this way in Romans 8. The mind governed by the flesh, by your, your core of who you are, yourself, your fallen self, your flesh, is hostile to God. It pushes back. It does not submit to God's law, to God's way, nor can it do so. Until you subject yourself and ultimately submit yourself to Jesus, you will have a hard time living out the life he has for you. That is where the battle is won on lost. Not doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. That's not the battle. It's submitting yourself to Jesus to saying, I am subjecting myself and submitting myself to you. So you go back to this passage, Ephesians five twenty one: Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And there's this idea, this principle of mutual submission that God calls his children to have toward each other. Regardless of your role, regardless of your place, regardless of the person. But this is his ideal for us. And we look for out clauses or we look for ways it does not apply to us. But the principle of mutual submission basically says that the practice of considering one another as more important than just oneself is the key. It's the commitment to stand under another person and to honor and hold them up. The word submit literally means to yield, to tap the brakes on driving forward with your agenda. It means to arrange under another person for the purpose of honoring and holding them up. Basically what it says to the other person is regardless of what our relationship status is in terms of my role in the family, in the org chart, on the team, in the classroom, at the school, in our relationship, whatever our position is, my job is to look for the best interest of you to see you succeed, to help you take your next step. What it does not mean is my job is to make sure that you're happy. Again, in relationships, it's holiness, not happiness. It means regardless of what's going on, I want to see you move forward in the work God's doing in your life. And while our roles and responsibilities differ within this relationship, whatever it be, a family, a a business, a team, a school, a, a small group, whatever it is, even though our roles and responsibilities are different, We are both essential to make sure that it goes well. And so I will ask whoever I'm in a relationship with, what can I do for you? We think that if we submit to someone, what will happen is they'll say, what can you do for me? But if everyone submits and says, what can I do for you? We all win. Basically, it says, I will leverage all the power, energy, gifts, resources, and opportunity at my disposal for your benefit for the benefit of the family, of the church, of the small group, of the team, of the classroom, whatever it is. Paul says this is our mindset. Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. That's hard for me to do if I just try to do it on my own. But if you look at the greater context of what he's saying in Ephesians, just prior to this, he said, be, full, uh, um, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means I've got to empty myself of me. And when Christ is in me, his mindset will come to me. When I yield control to him and I arrange myself under his authority, I recognize that if, if we're in a relationship and you're, it says to submit to one another, that's me to you and you to me, but at no point am I using my position opportunity to push you down. It's to build you up and to move you forward as a follower of Jesus, to partner with him. And I love this idea that in community, in a marriage, in a family, in a business, whatever it is, that God looks at you and says, I'm going to want to use the people in your life to change you and transform you to be the person I created you to be. Every morning, Understand that God's looking at you and saying, see the people you're in a relationship with? I want to use you to help them be the people I created them to be. So if you start looking for an out clause of submitting to others, you're missing the opportunity of God using you and God using them to transform one another, to become more like him. And what it really means is learning to be unselfish and others focused. But at times we get more on a happiness quest than a holiness quest Our holiness only comes from Jesus and his work in us and through us. That's why we must submit to him and say, we will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is out of my reverence and worship and gratitude to him is why I say, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I lay down my life for you? And it changes them and it changes us. And when we start to live that way, life starts to work the way God intended. But instead, what we choose is I want evil can evil or Thomas Jefferson. It. How can I get out of this? What we should be asking is, how do I get into this, this life that Christ has for me? How do I put myself into that? And the heavy lifting of that's on Jesus. All he asks for us to do is to hold our life with an open hand, say, my life is yours. The ripples along the way and the challenges, when you find yourself pulling back for this, ask yourself, why am I pulling back from this? What's going on in me? And make sure it's not the flesh pushing back against the spirit of what God has for you and what he wants for you. Let's stand for closing prayer. We believe these kind of relationships are important. We want it to go well for the family. We want it to go well in community. And we do everything we can to help connect people to community. And every fall, we have an on-ramp called Group Link. And this year, we're gonna do it three times for three distinct groups. Group Link on on September 9th for mixed and married groups. Man Night for guys on uh, September 10th and Group League for Women on September 11th. The goal of that night is to give you a look at what groups you could potentially be a part of in an on-ramp, a running start at potentially being in a group. We think life is better connected and that circles are better than rows. God can do some good stuff in here. We think he can do some great stuff in community. If you're not connected to others, it's hard to one another, one another when there's not another. Like, we need to be connected to one another. And this doesn't guarantee that, but we think it's one of the best running starts. So if you're, this is you, uh, uh, potentially next step for you, I would ask you to do two things. One is pray. And if you go, I don't want to be part of a small group, ask yourself why. Why are you pulling back from that? But secondly, if you think that's your next step, just to consider being part of a small group, sign up for one or more of those nights and jump in uh, potentially to a small group. Make sense? There's a handout in your program today, and you can sign up on the app or the website. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks that you have given us this ultimate example of what it looks like to one another, others, to love others, to submit to others, to honor others, to respect others. And none of us are off the hook. In your family, you've called us to value one another and serve one another. And wherever we are in terms of this place in, the, in, the, in this, these relationships, wherever we are on the org chart, wherever we are in the family unit, wherever we are, our responsibility is to put ourselves under your authority and under your leadership and trust that you can do this in us and through, this, through us and to serve and love others the way that you would. Father, for the places where we push back against this, rather than looking for an out, help us to look for an opportunity to put this into practice and to trust you in the process. And God, there are plenty of examples of people who abuse this. Let that not be us. Let us be the examples of what it likes to live it right and to love others and to serve and submit to you. Submitting is hard because we like being in charge. God build our faith and trust that we can trust you to lead us well and then to follow you well. It's in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down here at the front. Thanks for being here. Amen or) nothing on the land or underneath oh nothing that could ever come between